Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this conversation, but I'm still processing that. Uh, Lord Jesus, that's an Aid O'Connor conversation. Uh, J.D. and Miles and I were just talking about that during the break. And um, just brilliant as an artist, but fearless, transparent. Uh, I was saying to J.D. and, and Miles moments ago that uh, this is what makes it so hard to hear that at 56 she's gone because that kind of truth-telling, you don't hear from artists these days. You just don't hear it. Um, that that kind of um, transparency, as I said a moment ago, is uh, man. Uh, I I it was uh, it it meant something to hear that conversation um, and to think that was twelve years ago, almost twelve years ago when we did that conversation. Um, but um, Sinead O'Connor will be uh, will be missed, and certainly her truth telling uh, is rare, rare, rare in the world these days particularly when it comes uh, to, to artists who I still believe are the gatekeepers of truth. At their best, artists, I repeat, are the gatekeepers of truth. That said, uh, we wrap today's program uh, with a conversation right now about what's driving America's increasing political polarization, speaking of a need for truth-telling, uh, with U.S. Today contributor, national leader of the organization Braver Angels and host of the Reconstruction Project Sunday mornings on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, here in Los Angeles, John Wood Jr. John Wood Jr., good to have you on. How are you, sir? Tav, it's always great to be on with you. I'm blessed and highly favored, as the church folks say. So there, good to be on. There you go. We all are blessed and highly favored. Um, let me let me let me start um, with this. Um, you and I were together um, a few weeks ago at Gettysburg. I came back um, to the city and talked about uh, in one of our programs that experience and what it meant for me to go to Gettysburg for the first time. I'd never been there before, mm-hmm. side of uh, the Gettysburg, uh, the, 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 the Battle of Gettysburg, and side of the famous speech by President Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. A lot of history in that city. I walked around and, and, and saw bullet holes still in some of the buildings uh, yeah. that, that are still there from that war, saw some of those cannons on the field, walked out on the battlefield, uh, and had a lot of thoughts running through my head uh, about uh, about what was happening in America then and where we are now. Before I get to political polarization, let me just get your quick take on how you processed being at Gettysburg. Because I came back and said to the audience that it occurred to me as I walked around for the little time I had, the free time I had before I departed the city after appearing with you on stage there. Uh, I, I thought about the fact that in some ways the civil war in this country is still being fought. Lincoln was fighting a civil war over the institution of slavery, and trying to save the Union. Uh, Here we are now in this moment, and the Civil War is still ongoing. It's a question of whether or not we're going to be a real democracy or whether white supremacy is going to be the order of the day and take hold. So in some ways, we've we've not ever stopped fighting the Civil War. That was my take as I walked around. That's what I shared with the audience when I got back. How did you see, how do you regard that visit to Gettysburg? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say it was uh, it was a powerful experience. Uh, your presence there was a big part of the power of the experience, not just for me personally, but for I think everybody who had the opportunity uh, to hear our conversation. Of course, with our brother and friend Ian Rowe, Vortex Academies, the American Enterprise Institute. Um, I think that the the significance of the historical backdrop of the event falls on a couple of couple levels for me i mean you know, on, on, on the one hand you know it's it just serves as a stark reminder of how how far nations 
how far nations can can fall when they have deeply unresolved internal moral conflicts. Of course, at the time, the salient issue was was slavery. But violence, violence and dissolution is always a possibility, if not a probability, mm-hmm. um, for for any nation. And I think that in the comfort of modern times, we oftentimes forget that. You know, we, we more or less think we can say or do anything or not pay attention to the issues that matter, and things will continue to hum along comfortably. But history teaches us that that's not the case. Um, more directly to your point, I do believe that the fundamental cultural fault lines of American politics are still now um, rather as they were then, uh, insofar as, even though we tend not to talk about it in geographic uh, terms these days, so much of the polarization between between uh, left and right in American society today is still actually a matter of North and South, the mm. South versus everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's a simplistic way of putting it. It's much more complicated than that. But I think that at its core, that's still largely true. And part of what we have to sort of reckon with in America uh, is the fact that the, the – and this, this is not – look, I, I consider myself to be sub, something of a Southerner by abstraction. I mean, my father's my, – my, both my father's family was white, my mother's family who, who were black, traced their roots south to Tennessee, to, to, to Little Rock, and so forth. I got a lot of Southernness in me. It comes mm-hmm. to me very honest. So I'm not anti – I'm not anti-South, but the American South has a history and a cultural experience in this country for black and white that has deep implications for our race relations, for our religious relationships, religious and secular, et cetera, for our class relationships, uh, even to the present day. And until we begin to reckon with that in its real terms, it gets harder for us to sort of have the frame necessary to properly engage political polarization for second race relations as well. And so this, the seated backdrop of Gettysburg and that key battle of the Civil War was a reminder of that for me. Yep. To your, to your, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by your, your read, and I don't think I disagree with it. Um, that in many ways, the political polarization that we are experiencing right now is still north and south. I, I grant you, mm-hmm. we agree, it can be oversimplistic on uh, on it, it on its surface. In some ways, it's it's a prima facie argument. I get that, and yet mm-hmm. I, I think there's something there that's that's worth unpacking. And I guess the question mm-hmm. is, as long as we have this north south divide in the country, it's the south versus. I mean, I, I have a T-shirt that I love wearing that says Detroit versus everybody. I love Detroit. Detroit <laughs> versus everybody. Um, right, I, right, I, yeah. I, they, they're probably wearing T-shirts down south that says the South versus everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah. in many ways, that's how it feels politically. It's the South versus everybody. So long as that mm-hmm. is true, uh, what say you then about the future of this experiment in democracy? Mm, right. So, you know, uh, two, uh, 150, 160 years uh, from the Civil War, it is true that the United States of America is still standing, and we passed through not only the Civil War, but of course the Civil Rights Movement, a hundred years um, worth of uh, worth of uh, uh, trauma, triumphs, and aspirations in between. Um, and so, you know, I continue, in your words, uh, to be to be hopeful for the future of America, even if the question of optimism is a different one from the question of hope. Mm. So you, we, we, we could get into that if, you, if you, you, you like. You planted that seed in the minds of the people at the convention. But I do think that part of what we have to reckon with, um, north and south, black and white, left and right, uh, is, to put it this way, the lived experiences of actual people in American society. Mm-hmm. I think that we live in a moment where we're in an attention economy, 
um, social media and the million different sort of media outlets that are out there are vying for our attentions, and people have the opportunity to express themselves. That doesn't mean that people are genuinely heard. I think that there are a lot of black folks, urban folks in this country who are trying to actually communicate the depth of their story so people understand that their political positions don't come from a place of, of, of merely wanting to pick fights, but that these are real matters of, of justice that people are trying to put on the table. Poor white folks have their own story to tell, mm. you know, um, and that is particularly acute in the South. It's particularly acute in Appalachia. And, you know, we can we can talk about the, the merits of the grievances that are expressed from certain parts of the country. But one thing that's true is that if people don't feel heard by reasonable people, they will gravitate towards the demagogues who will weaponize their resentment. Mm. And I do think that that is effectively what has been demonstrated, not just by Donald Trump, but certainly including Trump at the very highest level of our politics. And that brings us to a place to where the polarization sort of conflicts we have in America uh, have become zero-sum and catastrophic in this present moment. And so, you know, we have to establish human connections uh, with folks who live in deep in the Southern experience. And uh, as you well know, Tavis, Dr. King died in the process of accomplishing that very thing, bringing together poor white folks from the South in particular and poor black folks to advocate for equality and economic justice, even while reconciling these deep cultural tensions. Uh, and conflicts that existed in America. He's a columnist. So yeah, I'm sorry. He's a columnist for USA Today. He's the national leader of Braver Angels. That is the conference at which um, uh, he was referencing earlier that he and I were on stage together. And uh, he is host of KBLA Talk 1580s, the Reconstruction Project, heard at 9 a.m. Pacific time uh, on KBLA Talk 1580. You can listen around the country on the KBLA 1580 app. We'll continue our conversation with John Wood Jr. when we come forward on Tavis. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? ideas. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. John Wood Jr. is the host of the Reconstruction Project on KBLA Talk 1580 here in Los Angeles. Uh, We continue our conversation now about the political polarization in our country. We were talking earlier on today's program, John, uh, about um, the the sad moment that Mitch McConnell had yesterday. I'm sure you probably saw it. Uh, the whole country has seen this video of him just uh, mid-sentence, just freezing. We know that he uh, had a concussion. We know he's fallen multiple times this year. We know he's above 80, uh, as are many in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and I'm not trying to beat up on Republicans. I, I have the same commentary about Diane Feinstein, a Democrat out of California. Um, there are just too many members of that august body uh, that, frankly, need to take a seat. You take a few seats. Just go home. Mm-hmm. Um, they've mm-hmm. served well. Uh, they've served honorably. If I, even if I disagree with their politics, uh, they, they've made their mark. Uh, and, I, and I'm wondering whether or not part of addressing the issue of political polarization, I could be wrong about this, could be a pipe dream, but I'm wondering, <laughs> back to Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein, where they're doing better on political polarization might happen if we could put some new and fresh blood on Capitol Hill. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it's a question I want to ask you anyway. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question, Tavis. Um, I I think that certainly it's less a question of how fresh the blood is, how fresh the blood is, and more a question of how fresh the perspective. Mm-hmm. I do think that that's fair enough. Right? Fair enough. Good point. I, yeah, you know, uh, we we need certainly some of the most radical uh, and sort of polarizing members of Congress uh, are folks who are closer to my age than than Mitch McConnell's age, or folks in their you know, folks in their forties or or what have you. And, you know, you could go down a list of folks uh, and and see where that's true. 
I think that I do tend to be sympathetic to the idea of term limits. I think that there is a way in which folks get into office to become institutions unto themselves, and they don't have much uh, incentive or outside pressure to get them to start thinking expansively and to do more than protect their own political interests. But let me steel man the argument going the other way, just so folks understand it. There is an argument going the other way, whether you buy it or not, and, and that argument is basically the idea that with experience, comes institutional knowledge and relationships that are built up over time, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that people argued in favor of Joe Biden when he was um, on the campaign trail for president is that after all of the polarization we had experienced, Joe Biden at least had a longstanding relationship with folks like Mitch McConnell and others that would allow them to do business with each other, even though the American people seem to be in a moment where we all hate each other. So that tends to be the argument. Now, the question then becomes, has that borne out, right? Uh, you know, in, in the course of Joe Biden's presidency, Mitch McConnell's um, leadership in, in the Senate. And, you know, you can point to certain bipartisan episodes and so forth, but it doesn't seem to me that that seniority has necessarily yielded the return to Camelot that, uh, you know, anybody might have been, anybody might have been, been hoping for. So I, I tend to sympathize you that we need with you that we need something fresh. There is something that uh, gets me a little bit about people serving in office for decades and decades and decades um, without without pushing beyond sort yeah. of the limited confines of their own interests. But I do think it's a matter of fresh perspective yeah. uh, above all else. I love that. Uh, I take John Wood Jr.'s point, fresh perspective over fresh blood. Our remaining moments with him when we come forward. Got about four minutes left in this conversation, John Wood Jr. Um, I don't believe in depolarization of our politics for the sake of depolarizing our politics. Put another way, there are some immutable principles um, that I live my life by and I, I want to be governed by when it comes to making uh, my political choices. And yet, I note that Braver Angels, your organization, is America's largest bipartisan grassroots organization dedicated to the work of political depolarization. So I close our conversation by asking uh, what you are learning in the process of leading and being a part of this bipartisan grassroots group that is focused on depolarizing our politics. Well, you know, I think I can answer that question by first affirming the point that, that you're making, which is that depolarization, for the sake of depolarization, is essentially meaningless. And so, you know, that is a bit of a psychological term, but I like to deepen that by saying that what we're really about is reviving, or perhaps in some respects, sort of catalyzing for the first time in some ways, the communal fabric of American democracy, mm -hmm. uh, because people exist in relationships with each other. And so what you and I believe in is the beloved community, a community of goodwill where we are inclusive with one another, where we have relationships of trust that are earned through truth-telling and goodwill in ways that yield a culture of collaboration that does honor to the true promise of American democracy. And so I think that what I am realizing and what I am learning day by day uh, what my experience has always taught me is that where political opinions diverge, progress is still possible where there's goodwill, where there's interpersonal trust and a sense of agape love and compassion for people across the lines of our ideological and other cultural differences. It is from there that we can, that we can move forward in the work of understanding one another better, so to genuinely speak and minister to each other's concerns, to co-create a country together that can allow for our children and our grandchildren to live side by side with each other in the future. People see and want the, uh, people see and want that sort of America, even if they don't agree on who to vote for today. That's the country they want to see tomorrow. Yep. My exit question for real, for real, is given what you've just said, 
uh, and given what we are confronted with in this present moment, how do you sustain your hope? Well, you know, I really do believe um, that that God has a plan, Travis, to just be frank with it. I mean, you know, Obama was fond of quoting Dr. King, uh, who himself was pulling uh, from from uh, phraseology that had been uh, uh, honed over time and saying that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yes. I do believe that there's a spark of the divine in the human breast, in human nature, that does strive towards something something closer towards a sort of Christ-like way of being, and that's not a reflection of you know anybody's religious identification so much as it is this idea that we are made in the image of God. And even if you just take that metaphorically, I believe that there is something in human beings that strives for something better, even if, even if it feels like 23 hours of the day yeah. we're doing everything possible uh, to tear that way of being down. There is something in within us uh, that's godly and that seeks for a more godly world, and so that's where I place. Uh, that's where I find my hope. I hope you're right about that. Um, he's the host of the Reconstruction Project on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. Heard Sundays at nine a.m. Pacific time. Uh, listen on the KBLA app uh, if you're tuned in around the nation. John Wood Jr. Good to have you on. Thanks for your time, my friend. Thank you, brother, as always. Thank you. Uh, tomorrow uh, is the best of Tavis Smiley. Uh, I can tell you right now, which I usually can't, but I can tell you right now, it's going to be an all-music day. We haven't done that in a long time. Uh, three hours tomorrow. One conversation with Taj Mahal, another great conversation with Karen White, and a third conversation with Saida Garrett and Patty Austin on the occasion of the 90th birthday tribute to Quincy Jones this weekend at the Hollywood Bowl. So a great show tomorrow, all three hours of music on Tavis Smiley. Until then, thanks for tuning in, and as always, keep the faith.